Well, we're continuing a series that we began last week, and it's really, what I'm wanting to do is address these issues of the unresolved, and I want to talk about the questions that, that itch at us, whether we're a Christian person or a non-Christian person, whether we've been around this sort of scene for a while, because we get really religious about this stuff. We, we take a lot for granted. And when I say religious, I don't mean that in a negative sense. But we learn the lingo. We, we just were singing songs about Egypt and we've just taken uh, juice and we're talking about blood and lambs. And, and if that's okay when you've been in this sort of scenario for a little while. Someone's explained all that to you. But when you're like me, raised in a, a, not only a non-Christian home but an anti-Christian home, you, you have no clue about all That's all assumed knowledge that those of us who were raised in church just get that. But there's this chasm between that and where the rest of the world really thinks and how they think. And so I really, for better or worse, understand how sinners think in that sense. Because it's like, I have other questions. There's other stuff that I don't talk, think in terms of sin and redemption. And, and I think in terms of what's wrong with the world? Why, how, could, how could we have gotten this far and still be where we're at with all the problems that we have? Who am I at the end of the day? Now that, as we saw last week, this whole question of this who am I is, is framed in terms these days where the, the safe harbours of identity that were handed down from our, our uh, locality and our parents or, or if we were a, in a religious framework, we knew we got identity from God. Now all that's up for grabs and people are saying, well, I make my own identity and so we're unanchored and we can be fluid and we define ourselves, but in that defining we're lost more lost than we've ever been before. And it's fascinating if we actually take the time to communicate with those in Generation Alpha or Gen Z, the, the stress and the anxiety that they're going through for the lack of anchors in their life. But it, it raises a good moment for us because we get to do a fresh re-examination of these sorts of questions. And if we allow ourselves to pull the assumed religiosity off our head about that, it actually becomes an incredibly healthy, powerful, and sometimes disturbing conversation. But I love it. I love all this sort of stuff. So we saw last week in the question about who am I, we came to the conclusion that we are who we are when we're known by God because it's God who, in, in that close relationship with him, that's where identity is truly defined. And so that's worth a listen. Uh, it's all online there on our website from last week. But based upon that, and normally the questions that us church folk would try to rise, start with what we're talking about today, but I wanted to talk about it from a better framework of who are we, because who we are is universal, it's eternal in that sense. It comes even before uh, the Genesis 3, Genesis 2, the stories that we like to bring up now about what's wrong with the world, what's broken about it, is there anything broken, or is it just the way it has to be? It's based on the foundation that the created sort of order that we take for granted that we think is an argument against science and faith when there's no argument there to be had at all. Reality is reality. God made, God created. And the further science goes down that rabbit hole, the further it's confirmed that it couldn't possibly just have come from nothing. As the Hebrews say, ex nihilo, out of nothing, God creates. But it's the humanity's restriction with the size of our brain to comprehend that that brings up all these questions. And so the question for today is, what's wrong with the world? Why am I here? And I want to answer it from the, the angle of the assumption of identity. But if you look around, and, and I used to have, this is my, my pre-Christian journey, if I can put it that way. 
the growing awareness as I, as I would get up in the morning and I'd see a sunrise, and it was never a sunrise that just didn't make me feel good. What's human about that? The magnificence and the appreciation of nature, the universe. To see that beauty and to see that and, and know something about that resonates with my soul as a human being, as a physical entity in that sense. What is it about that? And yet seeing that and knowing there's also incredible frustration in our life. There's frustration in this incredible universe that we know about. And I'm not just talking about the frustration of a bad day. We all have bad days, we annoyance that peak our traffic or whatever it would be. We have annoying days. I'm talking about the deep frustration of life that we all know, the unreasonableness about things like war that we think, is this ever going to stop? Is, is pride and prejudice ever going to cease from the human language and we stop making war on each other, nation against nation, culture against culture, person against person? Is this ever going to stop? Are we capable of this? After all these years, after all this learning, have we learned anything at a soul level? Are we just going to still keep repeating history with new levels of technology. The inequality of poverty, where this setting that we get to meet, or the lifestyle that we live, where we take so much for granted, turn the power switch on, and it's not like South Africa, the thing just works all the time. Or the water is drinkable, and, and all this stuff we take for granted, and yet it's so, so rare in the global setting of the world. The, the in inequality of that is deeply frustrating for me, as it is, for Generation Alpha. They can't comprehend why have we gotten this far down the track and we still have such a disparity about the sharing of wealth in the world. The unfairness of injustice, how, th how things can just be plainly wrong and still the powerful still remain the powerful and the lowly still remain out of control. That's fundamentally wrong, isn't it? Really, we know that. Romans 8.22, the Apostle Paul describes it. He says, We know that the whole creation, all of it, has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. But what is that groaning? How do we, how do we define it? It's, it's the, the frustration at the imperfection and the imbalance of the way it, it should be, and it could be, but it's just not, and we don't know why it isn't yet. At a, at a personal level, it's things like the experiences of anxiety and depression that, that we go through, only increased as society evolves more and more, and we take great pride in how smart we are, yet we're more anxious and depressed than humanity has ever been in all its history. Winner. Or it's that hopelessness that we feel that comes from uh, a human spirit that's unfulfilled. We... we What's the purpose? Why am I here? What's, what are we doing about this stuff? And this hopelessness that comes, the prejudice that we experience when we feel judged or we feel isolated, dismissed, gaslighted, whatever it would be, whatever your words are, this, the, the inner disquiet that produces in your soul. It might be as simple as the wild fear that happens when our teenagers rebel and we realise this beautiful seven-year-old that I used to have is now a mad 15-year-old that I can't control anymore and what it does to your soul. I won't get a show of hands who's been through that experience. Nothing mucks you up like a family that's not doing what you want it to do. And yet we get glimpses of the exact opposite. The sun rises, still take our breath away, as does the sunset. We go to relax, we go to the ocean, we look at it, and the, somehow the rhythm of those waves just brings us back to peace. A beautiful forest will still our soul. 
and we look at the intimidating size of the cosmos. I'm a bit nerdy with this stuff. I, I do love a bit of science and, and, and all that. I, the, 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 the scale of it, the physics of it, and the, and, the, and the beyond physics of it is just staggering to me. It just puts all my problems into perspective. Or it could be as simple as the fact that we experience uh, acceptance from someone. Someone stops long enough to listen and not judge. Or someone who just loves us because we exist. And it, and it just brings you back to life and you realise, if I've got that, nothing's going to harm me. And so this contrast is our life and it's, if I can put it in the terms of what the Bible would speak about in the big, the big narrative of what is 6,000 years of Bible history, the contrast is between two simple terms. One is chaos and one is shalom. Now shalom is a Hebrew word which means peace in a number of ways which I'll go into. But chaos is this other antithesis or the opposite. It's like the deconstruction of shalom is chaos. And the Bible is full of this black and white contrasted picture between what's been disassembled or hasn't been assembled yet and what is as it should be, chaos and shalom. And so chaos is uh, unformed in, in the biblical language, unordered, out of control, run by chance or self-determination. It's a state where the cosmos was before God himself brought it into order in that Genesis story that we read. Genesis 1-2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty, Darkness, their key words, formless and empty, is, is a, an, a pointing towards chaos in that term. It wasn't bad, it just hadn't been brought into, into order by, at that time. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So that's a state of, it's still not evil, it's just unformed. It's chaotic, there's no order to it. And so shalom is the opposite of chaos, and I won't, I'm not going to go too deeply into it, uh, in time-wise into a definition of shalom. We've done this uh, quite a number of times in our church, but the definition of shalom, the way the Bible talks about it, is that it, it means universal flourishing. It's not just a state where we aren't at war. It's uh, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which the natural needs are satisfied globally. Natural gifts in us are fruitfully employed. It's a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights, shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So it's, I'm, I'm good with me, I'm good with you, I'm good with God, I'm good with this planet. It's the way it was created to be. So that's when someone says shalom, peace to you, that's what they're saying. We hope you experience that. Chaos is something very different. And to illustrate it, I want to get a little bit nerdy, if I can, um, and go back to the Hebrew. We, we have a Greek expert here, but I'm, I'm pulling the Hebrew strings today, so if we can get that next slide up there. Back in the day, before there was written language, the Hebrews used to, uh, if you recognise uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs, pictographs, that's the way language was written in very simple terms back then. And so the, the word or the, or the symbol for chaos back, and now I'm talking now... Uh, uh, back in the times of Moses, e Egypt and the Pharaohs. Um, the symbol for chaos was this one behind me called Mem, very simply Mem. And it's very, this is a very civilised version of it. You realise they didn't have calligraphy back then, they just had knives and clay. And so it was a bit more rough and ready back then. But with that sort of font that we're using there, Mem actually represented um, waters, but not just waters. The waters, and it could be it, depending on its context, it could mean waters of life or waters of chaos, but it essentially meant like the waters of the flood. 
Hence the, uh, um, the pointer to the Genesis 1 there is saying the, the waters and the Spirit hovered over those waters. They weren't formed yet. So, that, so in, in different contexts, this, this symbol of mem can be sort of positive or negative, but more often than not, it's, it's meaning chaos and confusion. It's waters that flood like a tsunami or a tidal wave. So it's saying this is chaos. It's unbridled power in this sense. Um, but it's found within a the word for shalom, and I'm just going to get this next slide to come on up there. Now, um, the Hebrews used to read right to left, so I've deliberately inverted this for the sake of our audience, okay? But if you, can, if you want to get really nerdy on me, imagine all of this turned around. This is a Hebrew word written in its pictographs for this whole idea of shalom. And so there are four letters there. You can see that mem is still there on the end, but before that is uh, sheen, spelt a shin, uh, Lamed and Vav. So Sheen, Lamed, Vav, and Mem spe- spelt Shalom. But each of these pictographs had a very clear meaning. So Sheen, and remember they weren't in these sorts of fonts back then, so Sheen looks like a W there. But when they used to draw it out in the early days, it looked like teeth. So it was, it was meant to look like very angry teeth. And it represented uh, to destroy, to crush, so teeth that can crush and chew up. So the word meant, uh, Sheen meant to... Is, uh, Teeth that can destroy it. So if you wanted to symbolise destruction or pulling something apart, destroying it, it was through sheen. Lamed is a representation of a shepherd's staff which really talked into authority. So you'll remember when uh, Moses was talking to God and God said, show me your staff. He was saying, show me the authority that you've gained through life and I want you to throw that down before me before you can take it back up again. So there's destruction, then there's authority, and then there's vav, um, which means, uh, an, it represents an iron nail or a hook, and it means to connect to something. You'll see this uh, symbol vav in a word like iniquity in the old Hebrew. Iniquity was spelt with an i and a vav and a nan, I think it was, which was a symbol of multiplication. So iniquity meant what your eye hooks onto multiplies. That's what sin would mean. That's how they depicted it back then. So this word for shalom literally means to crush authority connected to chaos. So shalom is not a passive word. Shalom says it brings with it this sense of peace, which is peacemaking, not peacekeeping. It's proactive. It, go, it finds chaos and it tears down the authority that's connected to it. So things can go wrong, but there's no authority attached to what's going wrong. It's it's an incredibly deep concept because chaos in our life and in this world, the wars, the frustrations, chaos has authority connected to it if we allow it to, if we bow to that authority. See, in chaos, we often experience a sense where whatever is happening out there makes us troubled. So the chaos troubles us. So the chaos out there becomes the chaos in here. And so shalom is is meant to say you can bring peace by crushing the authority attached to that chaos that's going on out there. You can bring order in very simple terms out there, but very much so in here. So shalom is yours. It's authority to tear down the authority that's attached to chaos. So if we bow to the authority of chaos within us, we begin to lose sleep and, and we live in fear and hurt, you know, when our child rebels or something happens, or anger burns in us and we can't control the anger when we experience injustice or something going wrong. Something has happened and it, that's chaotic for us and it's, we're responding out of chaos in our heart. 
It's when we spiral into hopelessness, when we're just lacking purpose. It's where whatever's going on has had an effect inside of me because I've given it the authority to do that. I've bowed to chaos. Whereas I can experience shalom and I can tear down that chaos. If it's not in circumstance, I can certainly tear it down in my own heart. So shalom breaks the bridge. It breaks the authority that bad circumstances have in our heart. It says calamity may exist out there. I can't control the world, but I can control me. It may exist out there, but it's not going to exist in me. And so shalom converts chaos to being a much more downgraded entity, which we would call trouble. We all experience trouble. Let's differentiate the two here. Chaos, and I realise I'm going down quite a rabbit hole here, but I'll sort of bring this back to why is the world looking the way it is. Chaos is a total lack of order, and there's nothing within that chaos that has hope to change the chaos. See what I'm saying? So it's, it's out of control, it's going mad, and there's nothing intrinsically woven in there that's going to fix that. It's just chaos, uncontrollable. Whereas trouble is different. Trouble is circumstantial difficulty that may look like chaos, but it has the seeds of hope and victory found within it. So I can experience trouble and I can still overcome because I have shalom in me. So every Christian, like everybody else in the world, will experience trouble, but they don't have to experience it in their heart. Trouble will always exist, but it doesn't need to exist inside us. It's very, very powerful when it comes to, okay, what's the Christian purpose in the world? So let's look at how Jesus explains this, because what happens to you doesn't need to happen in you. Two phrases out of um, the Gospel of John where he says, I've told you these things, he was talking about trouble and such, I've told you about these things so that you may have peace, shalom. I've told you all this so you can experience shalom. In this world, so externally, you're going to experience, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And where is he? He's within everyone who places their faith in him. The Christian person, the only difference between a Christian person and a non-Christian person is not how well they behave, it's not how smart they are. It's not how good they look on a Sunday and whether they come to church or not. That, that is, does not define a Christian. A Christian person is purely someone who recognises they can't pay the price for the imperfections that they carry. But, and yet knowing that to have a relationship with this God, I need that imperfection paid for by some price. Recognises that Jesus himself paid that price that we couldn't pay. Places their faith in him to do that for on their behalf. And says, I'm accepting what you've done for me. I believe you. And believing meaning I I rely on you. I rely on you and not on myself. That's a Christian person. The performance as a human being is no better most of the time, are we? We do do stupid things. The church has done some pretty dodgy things over the last 2,000 years. Come on now. Inquisitions. How do we explain that? There is no excuse. Crusades, all the stuff. <laughs> Dumb. And we still do stupid things. I do stupid things every day. You do stupid things every day. The only difference is that price has been paid for us and we rely on that being done on our behalf. Praise God for that. That's what Easter is all about. He did what we could never do for ourselves. So Jesus said, I've told you these things. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Then he goes on. Peace, I leave you. Shalom, I'm giving it to you. The shalom that he has, that he's always known. God's never frustrated. God's never, he's never anxious. He said, that peace that I know, I'm giving it to you. I do not give you what the world gives. What does the world give? Trouble. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. It's all going on out there. The world's going to constantly give us trouble. That's the frustration of the world. It's broken. It's not perfect, but it doesn't need to be that way inside of you. Oh, if we can only learn, if we can only pursue that peace, that regardless of what you do, it's not going to mean it's have an imposition upon myself. So the greatest demonstration of this is, um, or the clearest and most simple, was Jesus in the story uh, where they're, they're in the fishing boat, obviously, and they're, they're going from one side of the lake to the other. Christians here, you, you know this story. If you're uh, new to church life, you won't know this story. What's happened is Jesus has said they're on one side of the lake, Galilee, and he said, we're going over the other side. I'm hopping in the boat. It's been a long week. I need some sleep. You guys row. Uh, I'm going to snore away. So they get into the boat, and it picks it up in Mark chapter 4. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped, and Jesus was in the, in the stern in the back, sleeping on a cushion. I can only imagine what that must be like. Have you ever been in a boat in, in rough swell? I, I throw up if it's about 1.5 metres. But this is, this is coming over the, over the boat, into the boat. He's on a cushion which must be drenched. He's in the back of the boat, so he's doing this, and half the time, it must have been underwater. The waves were coming into the boat. I don't know how anyone could sleep in that situation, but there he was, sleeping in a cushion, a cushion and they're freaking out. He, he was wet. He was just as wet. as that. He was going up and down like them too, and it's like your storms in life. It's like, we have this too. The, the storms aren't imaginary. We're not making this stuff up. The world brings us trouble. Our life's it's hard sometimes. We have bad days and weeks and months and a whole existence sometimes. We're not imagining it. That's trouble. That's what Jesus said. You're going to cop that, just like everybody else does. The disciples woke him, it goes on, and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Well, they were half right. He didn't care, but it wasn't about whether they would drown or not. He was just having a good sleep. See, the disciples were in chaos. The waters were turbulent. They were experiencing chaos, but the chaos was experienced inside of them. So they were bowing to the authority of chaos. It was in their hearts, not just in the ocean. And Je but Jesus could disconnect his heart from the chaos. There was no trouble inside of him. There was no storm inside of him. And so he could differentiate his soul from the circumstance. And that's the power of, of peace. So it goes on, he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And I could preach for a month on this dynamic where when you have no storms inside of you, only then do you have authority to speak to the storms that are outside that are bringing you trouble. You only have authority in the storms that you can sleep through. If you're freaking out about life, and I know what it's like to freak out because of life. This thing, none of this happens automatically. I remember a time, uh, and I, I love to use this story, but I, we were going through, our, our kids were teenagers and, and um, things weren't quite going to plan. This is 20-odd years ago now. And, um, and I found myself in a worship time in a church where I should be singing and glorifying and reminding myself of the goodness and the power and the reality of who God is. But my mind's on my troubles. My mind's on the chaos that was being formed and going, going, God, why won't you just fix this? Why won't you just fix this? But what had happened was I was bowing to the authority of chaos and now I had chaos in my heart and the time that I should have been setting aside in worship to realign myself and get my heart right with God, I was wasting on worry because the chaos had gotten into my heart 
And the Holy Spirit reminded me of that and I, and I changed the way I was thinking. And, and, but only once I changed the way I was thinking, only once I could disconnect myself from the trouble that was external, did I have the authority to pray properly and bring peace into a situation that was chaos. The authority came because there was no storm left in me. And I know the trouble that many of you have, I meet with you through the week. There's, there's marriages that, are fine, that have got no easy solution to their trouble. It's real trouble. There's troubled finances and there's no worldly way out. Troubled workplaces uh, and, and so on, it goes on. But they, they needn't have trouble in your soul. It's a choice. We can make it. We can choose to have shalom and break the authority of chaos in our life. Because shalom is a greater authority than chaos. We need to understand it. This isn't a tit-for-tat battle. It's not an equal battle. Shalom does not compete with chaos. It overrules it. It strips its authority because it's more powerful. And shalom is actually a weapon of what we would call in the church spiritual war. Because we are at war. And peace is the most powerful spiritual weapon you can have. So rather than retreating to what we would call a place of peace, oh, get me away from all my troubles... Instead of praying, Lord, take my troubles away, it's saying, Lord, give me the power to take these troubles away from themselves. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. That needs to go in reference to our last week's message where, who are we? We are children of God. Because we are children of God, we are, we are also heirs with God, it says in the scriptures in Romans. If we are heirs with God, we will be peacemakers. Not peacekeepers, peacemakers. Where we go, peace goes with us. You take the weather with you. You aren't a victim of life. You aren't a victim of everyone else's trouble. They should be a victim of the peace that's inside of us. We have authority in the workplace, spiritual authority. It's not chaos and calamity. It's not just gossip and slander and all the stuff that goes on in our workplaces. I know what it's like, but you are not a victim of that. You've been placed there to overcome that. You're a peacemaker. He's put you there to have authority, to clear the air of all that, to call down God's kingdom and his spirit, to bring blessing and peace in that place. We're peacemakers. But we don't overcome the world's way. This is why I say it's not a tit-for-tat battle. It's not a power struggle between good and evil. There is no power struggle between good and evil because they're not equal. God is not the opposite of the devil. They're not equal in their power. The devil is a created being, finite in what he can do. God is infinite, infinite power, infinite good. There is no darkness in him. There's no war from his side. It's easy. The war's ours to navigate, not God's. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, it's saying we don't, we don't battle the way the world knows how to fight. We don't fight with the same weapons that the world fights with. The world overcomes us through intimidation and control and power and all the things that strong people do to overcome the weak. We overcome through a posture of peace. Not, not, not quietness all the time, but peace. See, peacemakers overcome chaos because the greater reality will always overflow to overcome the lesser. The economy may threaten my income. It might take my money away. It might take my job. But I have peace because I trust in God's provision for my life. My family might be in turmoil. That's trouble's real. But I need not live in fear about that. It doesn't own me. 
A person may threaten my earthly security, but they don't own my peace. Who owns your peace? You do. Don't let anyone take it. It's yours. Take it back. It's yours. I've come to realise the greatest authority in life comes when I'm experiencing the greatest peace. As soon as I lose peace, I've lost authority. See, the world does it a different way. We all know about the dictators in life out there. They claim authority and they enforce it through control and coercion, violence. There are bullies in our lives that claim authority. They use intimidation and fear and overruling and dismissing and what all the things that bullies do. Even religious rulers, we've got to own this one again. Historically, religious rulers have used the world's way of intimidation. They've misquoted the law. They've misquoted what Jesus has said and done. They've applied judgment. They've ruled through power and they've done the wrong thing. But the mechanism of true authority is very simple. It's peace, shalom, and I'll bring it wherever I go. So we don't fight like the world fights. We come in the opposite spirit to the world and it's more powerful. Romans 12, 14, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And he goes on after that to outline this counter-life where we're not proud but we're humble. We don't repay evil for evil. We come in a very different spirit. He goes on in, in Romans 12, do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Bring shalom because good disempowers evil. It sucks the oxygen out of it and it removes its authority. It crushes the authority connected to chaos. Now, the funny thing about shalom, as you'll, you'll know from your own life, it's available. It's always there for us, but it's not automatic. It's available, but it's not automatic. It's like salvation for humanity. It's available to everybody. Anyone can have it. It's free. It's freely given, but it's not automatic. You've got to place your faith in Christ to pay that price for your sin. And so just like that, shalom comes by faith. It comes by relying on God. At the end of the story with the boat where Jesus has calmed the storm because he had authority over it, it didn't have authority over him. He, he has a bit of a debrief with the disciples. You know, Why were you so afraid? Where was your faith? In other words, where, where was this reliance on me? Because shalom is activated through reliance. So chaos can exist, but worry is optional. Okay? Trouble will have be in our life, but we need not be troubled. It's a choice. And so we ask the question, what's wrong with the world? Well, shalom is missing. What's wrong with the world? We're not at peace. We're not at peace with ourselves, we're not at peace with each other, and we're certainly not at peace with our creation right now. But we're working on it. Shalom is missing, and shalom can only come through relationship. Remember again Romans 8, we know the whole world has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. He goes on to say it's that creation is awaiting for people like you and I to be revealed, for Christians to, to own it, for the time to come when shalom is again on earth. What's wrong with the world? Shalom's missing. What's my purpose for life? What's, why do we exist? Well, God's purpose is revealed in us when he's glorified through an experience myself and an extension of shalom. That's our purpose. There's all sorts of catechisms and other ways to define it, but at the end of the day, what it's saying is God's purpose for us is fulfilled when he's glorified, he's revealed. People can see who God is because we haven't experienced ourselves of what that shalom is and we take it out. Just as he said in, in Genesis, you know, 
you're loving this Garden of Eden thing, you need to make out there look more like in here. You need to make uh, earth look more like heaven, Jesus said. Different terminology. It's all the same. The kingdom is advancing. How does it advance? Us taking shalom, peace, out into the world. You exist to know peace. You exist to make peace. And let that greater flow into the lesser. Amen? Can we pray into that then as a, as a, as a people? And I know there will be people in the room today who aren't church folk. There's some who are. But we're all human. But we're not a human being until we're being with God. We need him. We're, not who we, we're just dust unless we have that breath within us. So why don't we pray into that and ask God to bring peace into those storms in our life. Father, we pray. We come before you in faith, relying on you. Lord, we, we can't dodge this bullet in the sense of what is true is, is always true. You told us, you demonstrated it, you've equipped us, you've given us all that we need to have peace. And yet it's not automatic. But today we choose. So what's the chaos in your life? What's the itch that you can't scratch? What's the, the frustration that, you, that seems to be bigger than your ability to overcome it? It probably is bigger than your ability. The strong man probably is stronger than you, but not stronger than God who is in you. And so, Father, I pray into that space, into that frustration, the fear, the anxiety, the brokenness, the depression that so many experience. I pray you would now bring that peace. You promised it. Lord, give us all the ability to, to rely on it. Give us the, the grace to have faith, to rely on you, to calm the storms and to know this peace which is beyond all understanding because it comes from you, not from us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. 